Hey everyone, and welcome to an event for life with Brad Cox and Shane Buzzer. I'm Brad. And I'm Shane. An event for life is the podcast where we take you on a journey through eventful lives of inspirational event leaders from around the world. That's right, Brad. We'll be sharing their stories, impact, and insight into the complex world of events. So if you like these stories, don't forget to like, subscribe, and share with your mates. This is an event for life. Hello, Buzz. How are you, mate? I'm good, Brad. Yourself? Yes, all right. All right. It's been a big week, I think. Uh, we're short and we're here in uh, Melbourne or in Australia in general. How's yours been? I was going to say the, the public holiday throws people a little bit. Um, I think we're all nodding here uh, People acting like Monday. No, it's not, guys. Middle of the week. But no, it's an awesome time of year and... uh How's the sun at the moment? Like weather's awesome. Hey, we're rolling in, a, you know, winter here in Melbourne, and it feels like we're in the middle of summer. So, uh, no, nah, it's all good. Can't yep. complain at all. Yeah. Hey, let's get into today's episode, mate. Uh, today's guest is one of the nicest people in the industry, and also one of the most diverse. She's steadily developed her career from event coordinator at the Hawthorne Football Club uh, to lead producer at one of the biggest event agencies. Has led the event team at the Australia's biggest sporting organisation in the AFL for an amazing 15 years and has transitioned her career to now be heavily involved in venue management. Her golf game would silence us mere mortals uh, in mere minutes. But uh, would you please welcome uh, Danielle Bleasby. Welcome, Dan. Thank you. And you're telling a few lies there. I'm not sure about the golf game. Oh, Working on a on. new swing at the moment and I'm terrible. But anyway, it'll, it'll we'll outrun me every day. You shouldn't have seen me running around the golf course yesterday. It wasn't pretty. <laughs> How good's his intros? Every week. I'm I just like blown it. away. I yeah. like it. I will say 13 years of the AFL. I don't want anyone oh. to think that we were, yeah. Don't. Yeah. We round these up a little bit. Just don't. A little bit it's a okay. creative <laughs> license we like to say in this industry. And do not let the truth get in the way of a good story <laughs> okay. on this occasion. <laughs> no worries. Hey, let's get into it. Um, I'm sort of... Dan, you've got a great story, and it's you know I think it's it's, it's a really diverse one as well, which is um, which is intriguing. And you know we were talking sort of you know just a sort of off record there a minute ago. We've got a massive list of stuff we'd love to have a chat to you about, but uh, you know let's get the hot topic out of the way. How is the golf swing going? And uh, did you play on the weekend? Yeah, I had a tail. Oh, for those who know golf, I had a tail of two tails. I was playing Stableford and my first nine I had five points, which is atrocious. What does the that mean for us I've idiots ever that don't played? Know what the, yeah. <laughs> to explain Stableford is really hard. Let's just okay. say it's really bad golf, <laughs> very bad golf. <laughs> I should have been getting 18 points. I only got five. Okay. My next round I got 18 points. Right. I've been learning a new swing and I was trying to do that for the first nine and um, – it wasn't working for me, so I went back to my old ways and knew what I could rely on and got my 18 points on the second nine. So anyway, a bit of work to do on the new swing. Nice, so, nice. Yeah. And speaking of events, did you watch the Live Tournament here in Adelaide? I did. Time? What did you I think? I did. I loved it. Yeah? Yeah. Um, I think it's great for golf. I think it gets a younger audience into golf. Um, I think... You know, just to have a bit of fun mm. and create a different product. I don't think it takes away from the PGA Tour. Um, I think that PGA Tour has its place, but I also think this has its place. And what a wonderful couple of weeks for Adelaide. Unbelievable. Oh. The world attention on there. First of all, you've got Australian attention with Gather Round with yep. the AFL, um, which they just did an amazing job and the, apparently the city really came to life and then... Less than a week later, you've got Live Golf there and the world's eyes on you and the commentary around what the players were saying and what people overseas are seeing of Australia, just you can't buy that. It's no. just fantastic. And the fact that they're talking about potentially one or two more um, in Australia, 
Fantastic. And hopefully Adelaide too. I, I agree with you. I think it's fantastic. And you know, there's so much spotlight on Melbourne, Sydney, of course, and Brisbane and Perth had their run during those shitty years. But Adelaide, what, what, a, what a great couple of weeks they had. And as you say, they, I think they nailed it really. Yeah. They've they got a really fantastic on yeah. TV. Yeah, Jeez, it did. come out well. Yeah, it they did. did a great job. Yeah. And they really, Adelaide as a city, put a lot into it. If you saw, you know, a bit of the, the live site and everything that they did by the Yarra and the Yarra, the river. I was at the gathering. Sorry. I was at the gathering. They're all brown, that's okay. Yeah. Um, and by the stadium and that sort of thing, they they really put a lot into it um, and hence they probably secured an extra three years. So, yeah, yeah really no, good. We can't complain particularly here in Australia in the event industry. It's another huge feather in our cap, I think, so moving forward. So let's talk about your story though. Mm-hmm. Was events an industry you saw yourself getting involved in when you grow up or how did all that come about to start you off? Not at all. Um, I fancied myself as a player agent. Uh, So in sport, um, I got into commerce majoring in sport management out of um, high school um, and just figured myself as a Jerry Maguire I was going to say, it was the 90s. So you would have watched that movie and gone, all right, yeah, this is me. That's what I want to yeah. be. Yeah, that's what I want to be. I lo- always love sport. I love the business side of sport. And so that's what I thought I'd get myself into. And out of uni, I probably got one of the plum jobs for me. I'm a Hawthorne Football Club um, supporter and I got a job at uh, Hawthorne Football Club. But it was a marketing assistant. So yeah. anyway, in. Um, marketing assistant, um, did a lot of the, um, you know, the, the mail out at the, in those times, mail outs and, you know, all, all of those sorts of things um, and just started falling into to running their events, so their family days, their president's functions. But I still thought at that time, no, no, I want to be a player agent. Um, and I, but I was enjoying what I was doing and then I got approached by um, Peter Jones from Peter yep. Jones Special Events um, so I went in for an interview and just got captured, I think, by all the images of the events that were in his office um, and by him as a personality as well. And I thought this is going to be a bit of fun. I might do it for a couple of years, but I'm going to go back to what it is that I am yeah, meant right. to do, which is the sport. Sport. Yeah, right. Um, so I'd love to touch on PJ yeah, in a minute because yeah. I think yeah. there's, a, there's an interesting part there. But let's talk about Hawthorne for a second yeah. because obviously going into marketing and then ending up in events, but even more importantly – starting in sport and what sport's like uh, as a club level for a grounding, allowing mm. you exposure into, you know, some of those events and, and just where you see it sort of from what it was back then to how it works and evolves to now. Yeah. And, and, and also just while you're answering that, you, you started in marketing, but did the whole transition of events, did that just organically evolve as well? So Yeah, couple to of answer that there, question yeah. first, it did um, because a lot of the marketing was around the events and anybody in the club at the time, when you had an event on, you'd all get involved. You needed all staff sort of helping out and, and making it all happen. And then I just started, you know, having a bit of a flair for it, I suppose, and um, kept doing more and more of it. So, yeah, it just it just evolved. Um, and then your question was about clubs and the grounding and so forth. So at the time that I started at Hawthorne, it was 97 if, if you go back and if you're old enough, um, Melbourne and Hawthorne in 96 were looking at merging. Mm-hmm. Ah, yeah, of and course. The burning the, of the jumper is that Yeah, the point? members uh, voted against it. Yeah, that's what I meant, yeah. Uh, Hawthorne was at a, also at a time where they'd had some really great success and they were coming off the back of that success and a lot of their legends, like your Jason Dunstall's, your Platten's, 
um, etc., were leaving. Um, so you sort of had this drain of talent. They weren't performing well on the team. They were rebuilding. They had no money um, and they were really struggling. So uh, it's really lovely to see the success they've had since. I didn't share, I didn't get to share any of that. I was there for three years and we didn't perform all that well. The only thing I think in the three years that was a success was uh, Shane Crawford winning the Brownlow. Um, but what it made you was, one, resilient because you had to go through the loss after loss and pick yourself up and market the next event and, you know, all of those sorts of things. It made you, at that time, because we did have no money, you had to be really resourceful. I remember for Best and Fairest I really wanted centrepieces and we didn't have <laughs> any budget um, for centrepieces. So I ended up getting a whole lot of different things donated from supporters and things like that and my mum and I sat on the dining room table at home and put all these centrepieces together. Now I look back at it and they were atrocious. <laughs> but at the time <laughs> good old they were okay yep. um, and it just gave a little bit more to yeah, the nice. event. So um, it, it made you learn um, how to be resourceful, how to be creative um, and probably most of all how to deal with people and stakeholders and understand what people are wanting from events um, but also I think the contacts that I got through football at that very young age were, had have carried me through yeah, my right. career and network is so important. And putting your marketing hand on for a second, was it challenging to market events and football clubs? You know, no social media back mm. then and so you talk about sort of having to get your Probably no database, like no EDMs or anything like that either. No, really. no, yeah. no. Yeah. You didn't have email. Yeah. So I remember actually I shared a computer with somebody and I remember telling them at, at the football club management, we need to get on this email thing because, <laughs> you know, this yeah. is coming. This is going to be the big next big thing. I was faxing menus to the caterers um, prior to events and um, all of that sort of thing. So we had what we call mail outs, which was literally printing yeah. flyers and folding them up and putting them into um, envelopes and, and mailing them out. So that was the main um, marketing and then obviously any of your match days where you could sort of tell supporters what, what it is that you were doing. You also had your newsletters that went out to all your members and so forth and um, and then it, some signage around the club and and that was about it. Yeah, right. So, yeah. There you go. And mm. I guess, um, you know, for those getting into the events industry now, obviously a very different landscape but at the same time, the fundamental skill sets of the networking and, and contacts that, that you say you generated and have taken you forward 25 years, that's still there. That that will always remain. Yeah, absolutely. And it's 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 just so key. I mean, we always know it's not what you know, it's who you know. I think it's a bit of a combination of both and obviously experience and, and so forth do count for something. But having that network of people that you can – lean on for that next opportunity maybe or just to be able to get advice from, use as a mentor, um, be able to make some connections, um, so, so important, so particularly in this industry. Yeah, and so speaking of networking, you transitioned into the world of producing events for Peter Jones Special Events, mm -hmm. the master networker, uh, with a focus <laughs> still on sports somewhat but particularly in the world of corporate events. We know Pete likes to tap a lot of people on their shoulder. Was that the case for you or how did the, the role come about and what was that transition like going from sporting club, which is sort of where you thought you wanted to be, into the world of producing events in the corporate space in particular? Yeah, 
because I wasn't looking at a career in events, it did. It was a little tap on the shoulder, but it came through the AV company that um, we used at Hawthorne Football Club. Um, so a gentleman, um, Stephen Callagher, I worked with a lot at Gearhouse at the yep. time and so Pete was putting the feelers out and um, asking who, you know, who you dealt with, it's good and so forth. So, yeah, I got the phone call up um, from Pete and said, you know, Dal, come on in for an <laughs> interview. I want you to come in for an interview and I thought I hung up and said, who is this bloke and rang Steve Callagher and said, um, who's this Peter Jones bloke? Um, and he said, no, 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 you need to go in and have a chat to him and um, meeting him as a personality um, and then realising all the sorts of events that he did. You know, he, he had just done um, the a centenary of the AFL, which was in this enormous event on um, the middle of the MCG, um, which, you know, those sorts of things just really thought, oh, this is going to be a bit of fun. I'm going to really enjoy this. I like that creative side of things. So, yeah, let's give it a go. So, And how was it when you sort of made that first step in into that big office? Was it was it daunting taking that role on or did you gravitate towards the creative side or the logistics side or back into the sport? What was what are some of your earlier memories? Well, I started off as an event coordinator, so I didn't go straight in as to uh, event producer. So I had quite a number of producers to learn from and I was just about soaking it all up getting all the, the you know, the, the, the learnings and, and, and learning from those those guys. We did start off with some really big um, uh, big events like um, the Centenary of Federation. Uh, so you learnt an, an enormous amount um, through that. I think I, I am one of those people that does have a bit of the logistics and the creative side and I do think though as you go through your career and depending on the roles that you have – you flex them in and out depending on what's required as well. Um, and I was a really detailed person back then. I don't think I'm actually that <laughs> detailed uh, anymore. But, um, yeah, I think I had both and uh, with Pete and the creative brain and then the producers and the logistics brain, um, I just really loved I just loved it, loved the environment, um, loved everything about it. And you mentioned before that when you were at Hawthorne, <laughs> it was in the days where there wasn't a lot of money and you really had to kind of scramble and, and you know, just find a way, which isn't always the case at clubs, but did you find that taking, I guess, that experience into a small business where you, you're you suddenly doing everything, you know, mm. you, you're, you're wearing so many hats, but did the skill sets that you had learned, I guess, organically from that experience kind of take you forward in the yeah. producing day or coordinating producing days? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'd already done run sheets. I've mm. already had a little bit of knowledge around AV. I already had done budgets, um, you know, learnt a lot of that stuff um, uh, at, at Hawthorne Football Club. But, yeah, able to then bring that in. Uh, I think th- what the side of me that growed by get, going to Peter Jones was that more creative because you did have some clients with some bigger budgets and, and, and so forth. So you got to really think a bit out, out there and um, – you know, be able to do some crazy things and um, and different clients. Come on, what was the different. craziest thing you saw? Come on. Mm, gosh. Um, craziest thing I saw. Or a standout um, event. Is yeah. it one that sort of stands out in your mind where you went, geez, this is this is great. I'm, I'm oh. really enjoying this. Well, there's a couple. I might pick um, Prime Minister's Olympic Dinner um, 2004. We had it at what was called Vodafone Arena. So one of my yep. venues now, yep. which is John Kane <laughs> Arena, but um, 
it had not been long built and it was a few years in and they had the cycle cycling track, the velodrome. Yep. yep. Um, and every year the um, there would be a committee that would raise money for the athletes to go to the Olympics and, and, and the Prime Minister would host it. And I, I'd experienced it in 2000 as a coordinator um, and that was at um, the Royal Exhibition Buildings and this was my opportunity to take that event on um, and it was the most amazing event that, you know, one of the most amazing events that I've been involved in. Um, we had Alicia Camplin flying through the air and lighting the Olympic rings in the roof. We had the MSO with a number of great um, Australian performers um, down one end. Um, we had real. We wanted to keep the track in, but we had guests on the floor, so we had to build custom stairs to get over, over the track the and it onto the yeah, floor. Wow. Uh, and then we also, having the velodrome down, caused some issues around, logistical issues around catering and how you were <laughs> going to actually get catering in on the floor and serve guests and so forth. I remember Peter Rowland at the time saying, well, we're just going to roll it under the <laughs> velodrome and we were all like, no, that's yeah. not going to work. Um, and then we had to uh, dismantle the whole of the MSO, um, the whole stage uh, over main course, um, at which point... The Prime Minister decided to come backstage and help and say thank you to everybody whilst we're loading everything <laughs> off, him. which was really lovely. Yeah. Um, but then we did a, a live cycling race around the guests on the velodrome, so hence why we had to get everything out. Wow. Um, we did a live cycling race around them as they sat in the middle of the velodrome. So how was, how was your was risk management good. plan then compared yeah. to what you'd have to do yeah. now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Let's no, ride a, let's a bike around on a wooden floor around. It is a amazing. People. Yeah. It is amazing how much that has changed. You know the the amount of detail and work that goes into the risk assessments these days mm-hmm. compared to what they were. Yeah. You know that's twenty years ago. Yeah, let's not let's not get into yeah. that. We'll, we'll kill the mood. <laughs> what were some of the standout things you learnt over the time working in at Four PJ and in the agency that you've sort of been able to take them and, and use throughout your career moving forward? Um, I th- the biggest one for me is. The over and above's like don't just do what's expected. Do more than what's expected, um, and and really, you know, I learnt really hard work um, at PJs, which has I've ha- had to do, or I felt that I've had to do um, uh, for su- success all the way along my career. But I think also you work hard at something great, satisfaction um, comes from it too. Um, the creativity. Um, side of things most definitely like I actually didn't think I was that creative until I started working with Pete and it brings it out of you I think Mm. um, and just inspires it in you so you can also bounce off someone like that as well and 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 Pete's so good at empowering you to 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 come up with those creative elements that are there they're there somewhere and he's great at that yeah yeah, which is an interesting part. Like as an agency, we you know with a team of producers, where you're sort of bouncing off each other and using those creative sessions collectively to come to the end results, rather than sort of a producer being handballed a project and saying, "Hey, go away and sort it out." Yeah, in some respects, Pete was very good at the creative, so he would often write the creative, and we'd then put our input in. And sometimes we would, uh, his office or our office was in a, a lovely home in North Melbourne, 
not far from here. Mm -hmm. And um, we had a great kitchen area with big dining room tables. So sometimes on a Friday night we'd crack open the wine and that's when the creative session would happen. (laughs) Um, And where some of your best. uh, Yeah, Yeah, Yeah. absolutely it is. Um, So, yeah, it was a bit of a – it was at times Pete knew exactly what he wanted to do. And, you know, rolled that out. And then at times it was all of us sort of loading in and bouncing off each other and coming up with the um, the creatives. And even if you had the base from Pete, you then take that on mm. and you put your own spin to it along the way. Mm. And as you're dealing with the client, you come up with new ideas and, and that it all evolves. So, Oh, brilliant. That's so good. In 2006, you joined the AFL as an event manager. And you stayed for a, a staggering 13 and a half years, mm-hmm. nearly 15 years. Uh, look, look, um, look at the deep breath as you say yeah. that. From it's a massive did you notice you did that? It's a massive achievement in one of the most sort of high-profile organisations, particularly here in Australia, but even globally now. You went from event manager to special projects manager to head of events, then on to sort of head of customer uh, experience and growth products. It's quite a journey. Mm-hmm. Um was your intention always to build into that organisation over a long period or what made it such a standout to continue such a long tenure once you finally got there? Yeah, I don't th- I don't think I went in with an idea of how long I would be there. Um, it was a perfect combination for me at the time. So I, by that stage I had fallen in love with events and knew that my personality was absolutely not. Jerry Maguire was no. done. No. <laughs> not suited to uh, a sporting agent. Um, so it was a perfect combination and I knew a lot of the people and, and so forth. Um, I think what made me well, – there's a couple of things that really kept me there for such a long time. The people that you worked alongside – the AFL have the benefit of attracting really talented, smart people because they all want to work in, you know, what arguably is the best sport in, in Australia. Um, so working alongside really great people and being inspired by them and them always bringing different thoughts and ideas to the table, so that inspires you. Uh, I I was able to evolve and grow and do different things. Uh, I, I headed up really whilst there was a few different um, things that got bolted on, for 11 of those 13 years was the events department. Yep. But I started off with one person and grew it to nine full time and then, you know, had had lots of contractors that would come in and out as well around your busier period. So you just got to do a heap of things. A lot of the things that you put forward as ideas, um, the way you wanted to grow things, the want for the commercial team to grow things um, and keep evolving. Um, and there was a bit of a saying at the AFL, you know, even if it ain't broke still fix it. Uh, So that real mentality of continuing to raise the bar, evolve, look at doing things differently, I think that just keeps you inspired and interested. Um, And then when I got to a point 11 years and I thought, yeah, maybe I need to sort of start thinking about what I do next, there was a real, um, and this is a bit about the innovation around the AFL, real want to understand how do we actually attract a broader range of Mm. customers to the game What's this esports thing? How do we digitise our our media, all our videos, and and how do we commercialise that space? And 
and that sort of thing. And, of course, we'd had AFL media there for quite a while um, at that stage. So a lot of opportunities to sort of explore new things, AFL. And grow X. globally as well right? yeah, during that time. China, yeah, China. Yeah. So, um, you know, that was a really – it was a different opportunity for me because I didn't have a team and I think I'm a real people person. Um, so I really love having a team. Um, uh, so that was challenging in one respect. And also I didn't have the deadlines that events give you. You know, the doors are open at 7pm on Friday. You have to be ready. Um, This was more strategy-based, which I wanted for my um, development, Um, but you potentially didn't have those hard and fast timelines. So then really motivating yourself to keep, um, you know, keep things moving and keep pushing things and all of those sorts of things when you're a bit of a one-man band. And how did you deal with that pressure? You know, as you say, you're in the spotlight. You're in the arguably the biggest sport in the country. So how did you deal with some of those pressures and and the spotlight on, I guess, you personally, internally, if you know Mm. what I mean, to to deliver? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there was... Most events that you had were in the spotlight and you know how much media there is on the AFL. There's more media concentrated on the AFL than there is on politics in Australia, um, which is probably a bit of an indictment (laughs) on Australia. Um, But, uh, yeah, you're always – you always knew you were high profile um, and you always knew if you made a mistake it would be picked up on. And don't worry, some of my mistakes were picked up on in the media and so forth. So that motivates you – you know, to stay on edge and to stay sharp and make sure you do the best job possible. But also just to have a drive to create the best I possibly can. And my driving um, force behind that is that the guests in the room have the best experience possible or the people in the seats or the people at home on, you know, in front of the TV have the best experience possible. So I think that just drives you. How did you deal with some of those, I guess, that spotlight on you in terms of making mistakes? We all make mistakes. That's just normal part, part of life. But when you are in such a spotlight, personally, how did you first adapt to that? And then how, did you have to do anything to sort of build on yourself and your own yeah. sort of you know, self-well-being to be able to deal with it day in, day out? And the yeah. number of stakeholders as yeah. well. Yeah. Totally. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's, it's a hell of a lot. I think... A good example of that is the grand final entertainment. Um, of course, you've got everybody watching. Yep. We know what Australians are like. They're, they're happy to have take a pot shot at it. And, <laughs> and then in the media... Um, the, critics, <laughs> me, meatloaf was yeah. your fault. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, if I had a dollar for every day. <laughs> um, I will say it's Andrew Dimitri's fault and I'm happy to put that on oh, record. Because he's, ad- he's admitted it already. Um, uh, but, um, yeah... You know, getting up the next day and reading the papers and looking at social media and you're really feeling a little bit down because you don't hear a lot of the good stuff. Anybody who sat in their seats and said, oh, I really enjoyed that entertainment, um, you hear all the negative stuff. Correct. So that's really challenging, particularly when you have worked your ass off mm. for a couple of months. It's not just grand final day. Mm. It's all the finals leading into it. It's the Brownlows, it's the parades, it's everything. You're exhausted and you wake up on the Sunday morning, first day off in two months and, you know, you sort of read all that sort of stuff. So that's really hard and and initially that would, for that first week after, it would, you know, make you a little low um, and not motivated. Uh, but I think some of that comes with experience. Some of it is control the controllables. Some of it is, you know, listen to the critics or the, the people that you respect the most um, and really, um, you know, understand their thoughts but also be open to 
to learning as well um, and doing things differently and, and, and taking all of those pieces of the puzzle to make yourself better in the long run. So, um, yeah, you just... I still would read it and I know a lot of people would say don't, don't read it, it. you know, social media yeah. and that sort of thing. Um, but I think as I got older and more experienced and more mature through that, I just sort of would take things a bit more with a grain of salt and, and move on. And as an organisation and even more so to your team that you built there, is the support networks in place, um, you know, initially from when those things happen or is that sort of something that's grown particularly as, you know, things like mental health have become a big part, particularly in events and, you know, this burnout factor that we all talk yeah. about and so forth and and trying to alleviate some of those pressures that, you know, get put on us from that outside lens that, you know, don't see the fact that you've just worked your ass off for three months and they just pick the last little moment and the one little thing they can and not the hundred other things you did great all week. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely got better and better and better. Um, you know, I don't think back when I started the AFL in 2006 was really thought of that much. Mm-hmm. Um, mental health wasn't something that people talked about. Um, that would have been broad as well, not just the AFL. Yeah, that, no, oh, absolutely yeah. no. I'm not um, pointing the finger at the AFL. Any like anywhere I'd yeah. experienced or or, or uh, you know friends had experienced, um, and I think probably at that stage, mental health you thought were really big. Issues like depression and you know all those sorts of things, not the well-being space that we all um, know now. But yeah, I mean, you see organisations really now focus on that stuff, and I think the industry are getting uh, better at better at uh, ensuring that people aren't working the hours um, that we used to work. I think there's still challenges at times where just demands, mm-hmm. events just demand certain hours. And, and as a leader it, that you were in in that in well in that um, department at the AFL, did you uh, I guess have to look at your staff in those ways and, yeah. and identify in in a I guess a, a brand that you know um, expects so much and mm. big hours to achieve? Did you have to identify that at times? Yeah. So we, we, we some of the things that I'm proud that I introduced with the team and so forth is when I first came in, um, I didn't get time in lieu. Um, and so we, we introduced a program of time in lieu. Uh, for some reason, some people got paid for working a match day that the events team didn't. So we got that up and running. Um, we, the expectation was people were working till 10 midnight in the office and there was no dinner provided or anything like that. Got those sorts of things up and running. We would through the finals period, we would I introduce we would get in um, we'd get to five o'clock and it would be a mad day and we knew we probably had another five hours in the office just to drum things out and so I would make everybody stop even though some of them wouldn't want to um, and we'd go for a walk and talk about our day just for half an hour, fresh head, um, talk about the challenges have everybody be able to help solve the problem or suggest ideas or whatever it might be. And then go, okay, we're going to have our dinner now. We'll have our dinner and then, right, we feel back fresh again. We're back in front of our computers. And amazing what a little change in environment mm. can do, eh? Yeah. So that's amazing. Yeah. And they're such little things in some ways but they make such a huge impact on team and yeah. the way you work and the way your mental state is and, yeah. and particularly once you do have and a great productivity yeah, as 100%. well, especially which you would have seen. Yeah. Like making that team, team feel like a team. Yeah. And we're all we're, – everybody's feeling – it and at times some of us are feeling stronger than others so that's when we help out those that 
and at other times it'll be in the reverse. So, you know, it's it's on all of us and it's not just on me as a leader but it's on all of us to actually help support and, you know, um, be the shoulder to lean on, cry on, whatever it might be. And some of those things that you've initiated um – you know, large organisations means lots of people, lots of stakeholders, departments, agendas, you know, political and, and particularly in sport in particular. Can you give us an insight into how you are able to navigate to achieve your goals and success, not just in the things you change but just over your tenure in general? Uh, I think the most important thing for me up front um, and I came in at a time where the rest, the rest of the, my colleagues – um, at my level were males. Um, so as a female, I was really aware of, you know, f- wanting to prove myself um, in that environment and working really bloody hard. And I think after sort of the uh, – well, really actually I, I think I did a pretty good job of that. I started in the June and obviously September is your biggest period. So by time September came along um, and I delivered at what – I think they felt was a high level at the time, you then start to get some respect and that's when you can then start to push, you know, for what you want or what what you'd like to see introduced or whatever it might be. But, um, yeah, it's, it's a ever-evolving conversation and it, it changes over time as to what it is that you want to achieve and what's the next thing and all of that sort of thing. I can definitely attest that you did build the credibility <laughs> because um, I still remember working at Melbourne Park 12 years ago. We had a bit of a brief convo before this interview and I remember your name getting floated around quite a bit and I assure you it was always uh, with a level of respect and uh, you know, for what you uh, were achieving at the time wasn't what you had achieved, you were achieving at that time. So that was around the 2011, 12, 13 period. And as I said, you were really well known it was in the industry. After I um, pushed the drawn grand final on on them at Amy Park. Yeah. Um, oh, that's nice to see. that's nice to hear because we were um, we were really trying to push the barrow a little bit around what we could do to activate the space on grand final day, and for a number of reasons, there were challenges f- from the venue and and so forth as to why we couldn't do th- those sorts of things. So I was probably a little bit dogged. Um, with them at the time as well, trying to really yeah. But kudos on Lionel Richie, that was <laughs> awesome. Okay. Speaking of products in the AFL, um, you know, and and women in sport, I guess is sort of where I was going with that. You know, the AFL, you know, really went down the the path on the AFLW in particular and diversity and and trying to broaden its reach in that space. What was that like? Working through those early days of those conversations with internal stakeholders, what's this going to look like? How is it going to play out? Particularly women in a, in a male-dominated sport, like we said before. But just the evolution, I guess, that for those that you know didn't see that, they just see the end product. As we do in events, you see the end result as a as a guest. Um, but the process to get to that point, it was really exciting because if you think about the men's game, it's got such tradition behind it. And there's a lot of things you can't change because that's what people have come to love and expect and, and so forth. Keep changing the rules. Uh, but well, anyway. <laughs> you can tweak things around the edges and, and so forth, but there is an element of tradition that people want to continue to see. Whereas we, AFL Women's was like, right, we have got a blank canvas here um, and what is it that we can do that makes it different? But also understanding... Um, the female players' perspective and what they wanted to see the game, but also then, you know, talking to the eight, nine-year-old girls 
uh, and what it is that they wanted to see from the game and that sort of thing. So, you know, a, a really exciting time where you could just throw anything out on the table and it would be uh, considered. Um, it was also a bit of an education piece in the AFL at that time and um, uh, I suppose re- really understanding the, the female psyche and yeah. um, and what they wanted to do. But also interestingly a lot of the players when consulted there were some things that they didn't want to get too far away from the tradition. They, they didn't want to be treated too differently to the males. Like we can play this game, you know, we, we – um, you know, weren't keen. They weren't keen on smaller grounds. That's something I was going to say because, yeah. as, as an observer, straight up, I, I, I'm not going to lie. I thought and said maybe they should shorten the grounds. So obviously, that was a topic heavily yeah. discussed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and we could have gone really way out there with the um, the uniforms as an example. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But there was an element of one. I I want to be tied to the club. Like I want it to look like the club that I'm playing for. Mm-hmm. Um, but two. Yeah, the, the the women didn't want to be too far away from what the men looked like as far as uniforms. Now, um, there are some changes and differences mm. in, in their uniform, but it effectively looks like um, the same club, the same. Well, there's brand continuity in there as well. Yeah. So rather yeah. than trying to re-educate from the scratch, you're actually building on the foundation you've already got. So, yeah. you know, you don't necessarily change it just for the sake of changing it. Yeah. But I guess the point is, you know, you can actually allow some of those creative juices start to come back to the forefront and go, okay, well, we do have a blank canvas here so we yeah. can create yeah. uh, from start, which is awesome. Yeah. And some of the fun stuff was the match day experience too. And I loved uh, AFL Women's match day experience because it felt very much community led grassroots um what football really used to be about where you had all the different grounds for all the home teams um and i really loved i loved the vibe as you walked around um you know the crowd and and so forth very different to a men's game which is highly professional and just a different different presentation of the game was that the most satisfying experience you had at the afl no, oh, there's a lot of satisfying experiences. I definitely think the drawn grand final was a satis- really satisfying experience. Um, Depending on who you barricade. I was going to say, <laughs> don't. Uh, <laughs> didn't worry me, yeah. either team. But um, Any St Kilda you, supporters listening? <laughs> yeah, yeah, my whole family are, are St Kilda supporters Ooh. other than me. Um, that taught me a real, uh, well, a number of lessons, but you work really hard to a light at the end of the tunnel, which is grand final day. And then we had to draw and we had to do it all again and we didn't know what we were doing. So first of all, every one of my team that night, um, that grand final night cried at one stage because they were so exhausted and didn't know how they were going to get themselves up for another week. Mm. Um, So really how I um, was able to champion the team and, and get them through, I literally sent them all home and said, you go to bed, don't worry about what we're going to do. We're going to go and figure it out. We're going to figure out what it is that we're going to deliver across this week. Um, you know, discussions around do we have another grand final parade? Do You know, yeah. what do we do from a corporate hospitality yeah. environment? Blah, blah, blah. Um, so, yeah, a few of us um, were very late into the evening that um, and I just asked them all to be back on the Sunday in the office at 9am and I was so proud of them because they all came in and they said, Dan, we're ready to show the world what you know what it is that we can do, um, and then we just madly got about doing it. It's amazing how quickly people can make decisions when you've got 
time restraints and yep. you've just got to get things done and what you can pull off. Um, when you really have to. Yeah, when yeah. you really have to. And and so having grand final day and delivering what we delivered and the Lionel Richie and it, it was such a – it was a really different vibe to a normal grand final day because it, it wasn't as many yeah. um, corporates. It was a lot more supporters. You know it, was it was a really lovely – It was real. That's what yeah. it was. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and then we had the post-match – with Lionel and the team at Amy Park afterwards, and and we got about a bit over twenty thousand Collingwood supporters across there, just celebrating and so forth. And that's when you can take a step back and go, "Wow, this is really this is really satisfying." Oh. How did you find yourself getting through that week? And further to that, how did you get your team through that? You talk about emotionally, you know, they're mm. down and you've got to get them back up. But mm. what are some of the things you did to be able to make sure you could actually do that? Oh, I think I really ran on adrenaline, but it's also amazing. Like those first few days was crazy. The phone didn't stop because you got every supplier saying, you know, what do you do? Do I pull down those marquees? Do I not? What am I doing? Blah blah. And um, and you're getting people to make decisions. But in actual fact, then on the Thursday and Friday, it all settles down because you've made all the decisions. Everybody's off doing what they need to do. Um, we did really try and simplify it too. So whatever mm. we did, we did well. Um, and then I actually really enjoyed the Friday going into it. Um, there's always a nervousness on grand final day because everything's on the line. Um, I know the players put it on the line but we've got the entertainment and all those things you want to make sure that the sound works and all of those sorts of things. Um, and I think just keeping some good humour about it. So trying to have a bit of f- fun. Um, the AFL were really good during that week around what is it that we can do to support the staff? Um, you know, is it massages? Is it, you know, those sorts of things that just... Those um, little value-add things yeah, make a difference. Yeah. yeah, but I also think part of it is giving the team empowerment to, okay, that's that's your event, you run your show. I don't mm. have time to get involved yeah. in the detail. You just... And it's amazing to talk about politics and stuff before and all those decision-makings and the meetings oh, yeah. and the on and That's on. Done. All of a sudden it just disappears and it's like amazing what you can get yeah. done in a week when you absolutely have to. Absolutely. Uh, and I su- assume the same as on the supplier, you know, and your network there and the reputation you built that everyone just sort of, you know, picked oh. up their tools and said, right, what do you need? We're in and let's everyone go Everyone was it. amazing, amazing. And the amount of people who had holidays. I was going to say, yeah. people have, the had things planned or weddings or whatever yeah. it is. So yeah. I- I've loved this story in the context that the players get well, the clubs and the players got all the attention as you know as they should in the media yep. it's it's their game but the behind the scenes that you're now referring to and the implications of a draw that are just lost on most people um that was fascinating so thank you for sharing oh, that there'll never be another one again so no yeah. there won't <laughs> go. go down in history um speaking of history you in 2019 you you opted for a change in in mm-hmm. pace uh, mm-hmm. and who can blame you after all of that uh you went to work for city of melbourne as you uh, sorry city of port phillip um as the executive director of south melbourne market which you alluded to before it's quite a shift yeah uh, away and, from the yeah. afl why the shift for you and what are some of your considerations in doing so after such a long time at the afl to make that move so uh, first of all I didn't really have a plan to go into retail or venue management or anything like that. Um, I thought I wanted to remain in events or sport or entertainment. Um, And I actually went for another role, which a recruiting agency sort of um, I worked with and I just just missed out. And it was probably quite a similar role 
to what I'm in now. Um, but that recruiting agency was recruiting for this role at South Melbourne Market and they came back to me after that process and said, look, we'd really love you to put your hand up. My initial reaction was, well, no, that's not really where um, I'm wanting to go. But they sort of said, just come in for a chat. And anyway, I've, I sort of got quite interested after going in for the, for the initial chat. And I think um, the things for me was I've, I'd always loved South Melbourne Market. I'm a bit of a foodie. Um, you know, I, I loved the environment. Um, the brand that South Melbourne Market has, whenever you would mention to somebody that you worked there, they, they were all, oh, I love South Melbourne mm. Market. So it's got a really amazing um, brand. Um, there was a lot of things that I felt like I could bring to the table. So I felt like that sort of um, that level of delivery, it was almost like an event, um, but it's every market day. Uh, so how do we bring that level of delivery up? Think about the customer journey. A um, lot of stakeholder management um, with the traders, with the council, um, with the residents, uh, all of that sort of thing. And in actual fact, it was a perfect role uh, for to lead to the role that I've got now. If I'd come straight out of the AFL, I don't think I would have got this role that I'm in in now. And uh, you know, I managed a venue. It was a retail venue. Got to think about retail strategy and, you know, what sort of gaps we had in our retail mix and all of those sorts of things, which I loved, was working on a master plan around how we were going to make some improvements to the infrastructure. Um, and was all that sort of new skill stuff, was that your motivation during that period to well, sort of stay interested in that? Yeah, that and, and the other things that it brought to the table was I was reporting to a board. Yeah. Um, so right. I was running my own team in my own right, reporting to a board, um, and and also reporting into City of Port Phillip, so understanding local politics okay. and you know government yeah. and all of those sorts of things. So I knew I was going to grow from the experience, and you know sometimes you've just got to go in, you know, feet first and and give it a go. Um, it the biggest thing I learned from it though it was through COVID. Yeah, I was actually going to say, so the shitstorm hit in March 2020 yeah, and so. all the skill sets that you had learned from the previous 20 years of just thinking on your feet and being flexible and adaptable, I imagine that then came to fruition at this time. Yeah, and I've said to people looking back on it, like you could not do a leadership course and come out the other end with the skills that I feel like I, and the experience I've developed through that period because that is true leading in uncertainty when you don't know what's going to happen every single day, what the government is going to announce next. Um, and we had we sort of had three different tiers or categories um, across the market. We had the fresh produce who could um, could continue to trade but had lots of restrictions on how we ran the market and what they could do and masks and distances and all that sort of thing. We had the cafe and restaurant guys who could only do takeaway and whilst they were open they were bleeding like it was just so hard. And then you had all our general merchandise who were just closed down, not able to do a thing. So a lot of the time you felt like you were a bit of a counsellor along the way. We mm. would do um, welfare check-ins with the, all the traders that were closed that we weren't seeing all the time. We do our own welfare check-ins, obviously with the traders that were there, and really spent a lot of time talking. Um, the biggest thing that I made sure that we um, implemented straight away was any time there's a change in any regulation, whatever it might be, we're on the front foot and we're communicating the facts to the traders so they're not guessing. 
Um, and I'm really proud of the fact I think we did, Sophie will tell me, but I think we did about 150 newsletters via email um, around different changes and what was going on and reassuring them about things um, and I'm really proud of that because the traders all commented on we just knew we could rely on what the market was telling us and we didn't have to worry about all the stuff in the media. You told us ahead of anybody and, you know, we just could follow what you told us to do. Um, Newsletters all the way back to Hawthorne. There it is. Yeah. 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 You put them in envelopes. And, yeah. Yeah. Which is an interesting point. You know, we talk about it a little bit particularly on the podcast, but um, the transferable skills of an event mm-hmm. professional into into this case, into venues, into a local government that, you know, you didn't think you'd end up down that path, but you did. And those just transferable skills, how much of an impact are they? And do you think they're such a, a great tool that we probably underutilize or under underestimate underestimate, yeah. yeah, in as an industry in general? Yeah, well I took it um I talk to a lot of um, young industry professionals and, you know, they might be struggling with what the next move is and where they want to go in their career and, and they're thinking about the job title mm-hmm. that they need next. What I try to say to them is don't think about the job title, think about the skills that you've got which are broad and varied but also think about what's the stuff that gives you energy and you want to do more more of that. You don't want to do the drain um, you know, the energy drain stuff, you want to get a role that, uh, you know, really keeps you energised and, and keeps you – that's when you're going to be at your best. So think about those things that you love in this role and how you transfer that to the next role. And it might not be in events. It might be in something else. Um, but, yeah, there's so many – so many skills that you get from events. And in your case, it was back into the events yeah. industry, yeah, so was, which yeah. we'll get to now. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you, you jumped into Melbourne Park as the director of venues um, and you started right when the Australian Open kicked off. Yes. Uh, am I right yeah. in saying? Yeah, Last a week year. before it, yep. So how's that all going? And, you know, it must be awesome just to work in a world-class venue. We touched on earlier in our chats and, you know, it's got all the bells and whistles. So how's it all going over there? I'm loving it. Um, the thing... Uh, well, I like lots of things about it, but um, one of the things I love the most about it is the, just the variety of events that we get. So, you know, all sorts of sport, um, all sorts of concerts. Um, K-pop is a big thing at Rod Laver at the moment this year. That's probably our theme for this year. Um, uh, you, you know, comedy. We had Barack Obama at John Kane a, about a month ago. Um, and then we've got the new centrepiece, which is gala dinners and conferences and, you know, cocktail parties and all the stuff that I know and love um, so well. So I just love the environment, but I also love the fact that this, um, whilst we do have amazing venues, amazing team, there's so much opportunity there as well. So opportunity from the little things like the little one percenters that are going to make the, the little changes and the little differences to the customer experience to the big infrastructure stuff so we're spending 25 million dollars at the moment on amy park because we have the fifa women's world cup and the government have committed 25 million dollars so we've got a new corporate lounge and we've got you know some amazing curved video screens the first one's up um yeah you just being able to to sort of dip your toe in all of that sort of stuff as well as that more operational um and some of the aspirations that john the ceo has for that whole precinct to bring it to life seven days a week is really exciting. 
do you find yourself stepping back into producer hat sometimes wanting to get more heavily involved or you think you're far enough removed now you're happy to to leave that to to those in those roles it was hard to begin with because i knew what i would do if i was a producer and also you know oh why are they doing that that's not going to work but at the end of the day the they're the client and so we can advise on how things work best and uh, how we believe um, our venues can sort of cater to an event. But at the end of the day, it's their event mm. um, and they need they take ownership of it and they want to do things certain ways and they know their audience um, better than anybody as well. So, yeah, there's a little bit of a balancing act to go, okay, I would do it this way and wanting to sort of get in and tell them. Um, <laughs> but uh, I, I've got, you know... I'm more than 12 months down the track now, so I've sort of um, I've made peace with that, if you like. Right. <laughs> and having been on the planning and producing side, what are some of the initiatives you're trying to bring into the venue, you know, and the operations of the venue to assist them working with events and planners and producers in general? Yeah, well, I, I came in... So most of my team are venue specialists and have spent a lot of time running venues and I was very aware coming in that I'm not a venue specialist and they probably will look at me like what's she got to teach me I think I bought that client view in and was always able to ask the question well you know what would the client think of that if I was the client this is what I would think about that so just changing the lens um to be more client facing um around what it is that we're delivering And, and I know we haven't always we've always done it this way but how about if we thought about that, this because this is the result or, or the outcome that we could we could see. So, yeah, I think bringing a lot more of that to the table. And you're in a great position to do that. Melbourne Park, you know, it's it's new, it's fresh, it's had so much work done and, and it's, it's, it's a major sporting hub, not just in Melbourne but Australia. So you potentially can be a pioneer for moving forward in events and what that landscape looks like. Is that something that is discussed internally? Or is it something that you want to be a part of? Uh, absolutely. So we talk about, you know, being a destination mm. um, and that's not just a destination for events on an event day but 360 days of the year. Um, so, you know, how can we be that that landmark space in Melbourne that people want to flock to, um, whether that be to do a tour around the space, whether that be to come and have something to eat and drink, um, you know, whether that be to come and get involved in some activations and things that we might do in our what I've labelled non-traditional event spaces, Um, so not in our venues. um, And also how can we actually start to think about our venues as a whole rather than individually and create events that can can really take advantage of that and that entire space rather than just Rod Laver Arena or just Centrepiece. I want to do we've, something in your car park. <laughs> yeah, well, yep. it's a good, it's a great space. Um, we've got DreamHat coming up this weekend, so an esports event, and we are using across um, Rod Laver Arena, Margaret Court Arena, Centrepiece um, and uh, quite a bit of our outdoor area to create this one big event, which is a great example of, yeah, what it is that we can do and the flexibility that we have in our space. Love it. What are some of the ways venues are having to stay relevant and stand out from the competitors to secure business? Like you talk about all these new initiatives and these different events that are happening, but, you know, you're really having to think about, okay, I've got these competitors, I've got new venues coming online. How do we stay relevant? How do we get this business in a pretty cutthroat market at the moment? Yeah, I think there's a couple of things to that. 
we've got a real ethos around the customer at the heart of everything that we do. Uh, and I don't – well, I don't know that all venues think like that. They think sometimes very linear, linear – oh, I can't say that word, but um, – you know, all the logistics and all of that sort of thing um, around security and risk and can be quite conservative. I think we're sort of opening ourselves up to really giving things a go, but we're also opening ourselves up to actually bringing a bit more value to the table. So we've um, introduced for quite a number of events activations that come in and above. Now, in the past, we would have just, concert comes in, they run their thing, we do the ushers, the security, you know, all of that sort of transactional stuff and out the customers go. Now we're being a bit creative. Um, we had Ice Cube and we got an old vintage car out there that um, bounced up and down Love and people it. could have photos with those sorts of things that just make that experience a little bit more yeah, little memorable. Yeah. yeah, but I also think the state government are amazing in continuing to invest in the space. So I said before, when we were off air that, you know, we finished our master plan, our most um, recent master plan. Now we're thinking about the next master plan and what it is that we need to deliver. So to continuing to evolve the space, look at the new technology that is coming in, look at world benchmarks um, and just ensure that we are delivering, you know, the best um, out there. We wanted to touch on a couple of your other areas of work. Uh, and of interest to you, particularly your involvement as chairperson for Women for Challenge, mm -hmm. uh, which aims to support and improve the quality of life for mothers caring for seriously ill children, uh, particularly those with cancer. Uh, it's an incredible organisation. Can you give us a little insight into how you became involved and in some of the work you do and how you're able to utilise your career and network to help the organisation? Yeah, sure. I remember coming going to, I'm not sure if it's the was the first event, but it was one of the first events. So... It's now 21 years on from the first event um, and I just remember it being a really great, you know, a little event that I, I sort of saw a real um, sort of attachment to that um, charity, if you like, and I went for a few years and then I didn't think anything more of it. Then a friend of mine, um, Anna Toman, was the chair um, and I sort of talked to her about, you know, I've really been thinking about getting involved in our charity. I'd like to give back. I think as an event producer I've got some skills that would be useful because, you know, most fundraising is through events. And she said, well, I chair, you know, Women for Challenge and um, our diamonds are a, be a girl's best friend, Gala Ball, yep. and why don't you come on to the committee? So I did and I was on there for a number of years and um, Anna has um, – she gave amazing service – since um, moved on and I've taken on the chair, um, I think what I'm able to bring to the table is those event contacts. So every money you're not, every you know piece of money you're not spending on your event, you're making for the charity. So pulling on some of my networks to donate, whether it's draping or fireworks or you know entertainment or whatever it might be, that is a huge advantage to making sure that we raise as much money as possible. Um, but also then uh, our role as a committee, and we've got quite a diverse range of committee members, is all about getting donations for auction items and, you know, um, raffle prizes and all of those sorts of things. So, yeah, just drawing on your networks and, and in 
imploring them and getting them to understand the the great um, uh, you know cause that it is. Uh, yeah. And you're also a board member of the Sandringham yeah. Football Club. Um, so you you give a lot back. You know, you're a busy person, but you give a lot back. And so is this um, ph- 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 I can never say that word ph- philanthropic, mate. philanthropic yes. and yes. community work. Is that a focus for you? Um, and you know, is it potentially leading you to something else in the next phase of your career, being a part of these groups? Good, good question. Um, first and foremost. Um, and particularly uh, the challenge stuff that I do is just about giving back and because I believe um, wholeheartedly in in what we do and what we're able to provide. And I, you know, it's selfish in a way because it makes you feel good, right, to think that you're actually doing something for other people. There's a there's a bit of selfishness in mm-hmm. that because it makes you, um, you feel good about yourself. Um, so th- I think there will always be an element of me that wants to give back in that way and do what I can. Uh, Sandring and Football Club, there's a couple of reasons around that. One, I want to stay connected to, to football. Two, my family, um, as I referred to, are Saints supporters and they're aligned to St Kilda. So they um, they find a bit of joy in coming along and seeing Sandring and Football Club. So whilst I'm giving back, I'm also being able to spend some time with the family and get them involved and, and so forth. And, and Lockie, my stepson, is, is um, you know, helping the club, volunteering with statistics and video vision and all of those sorts of things. Um, part of it is I do have an aspiration um, in the future and, and not right now, but to be on some boards, some of them paying, some of them, um, you know, volunteering on those boards. I think um, you know, there's obviously a real push to get more female representation on boards and so forth. I was lucky enough through the council they put me through the AICD course, um, which I really – I just loved. Um, great learning. Um, Can you elaborate what that is? Oh, sorry. Yeah. Australian Institute of Company Directors. Yep. So basically how to be a board member mm-hmm. um, and for not just charities but, you know, um, corporates, all sorts of – um, boards. Uh, so yeah, there's an aspiration in future to sit on a few boards and, um, and, you know, contribute in that way. Were you going about it the right way? Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. You've had a huge amount of experience across a very large sector of the industry. What are some of the key areas and initiatives you would like us to see as a global event industry tackle and improve into the future? That's a big one, Brad. Intensive um, yeah. leaving the big big bangers <laughs> for last. Um, I think there's a big role for events to become more sustainable. Um, so the you know it, it's hard. It's a really hard um, space to become more sustainable because we do use a hell of a lot of energy. We lo- we generally use a lot of plastic. We you know there's there's a lot of things that we do pretty badly um, that I think we've got plenty of room for improvement uh, and there are some events, mainly festivals, that are doing a really good job in that space. Yeah, certainly taking oh. the charge and the lead on that space mm. for sure. There's yeah. a lot that you know, other areas of the industry could learn a lot from. Gather yeah. Round really touched on that well. Um, which oh, I, did they? I didn't yeah, see that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I talk about that yeah. kind of offline but uh, no, they did a great job on the sustainability front yeah. so kudos. Yeah, yeah good. Um, so I think that's a big thing and then I think it's um, – it, I think the big challenge for us in live events is how do we continue to get people off the couch 
um, and into our live environments and how do we continue to make sure that that experience is far superior to any other um, experience. So there's a lot to be done um, around making customer journeys more frictionless, um, whether that's through the way that you get charged for food and beverage or tickets or, you know, um, you can do that all sort of seamlessly without even tapping a card or anything like that. Um, uh, you know, whether that is because, well, for me there's something that is just a live experience doesn't, it beats everything else because you are there with a whole lot of other people. So how do you continue to garner that feeling of being part of something bigger than yourself? Yep. Um, Agree. And the senses is another one on that too, you know, really playing to the senses, the mm-hmm. human senses. You can't get that through a TV screen and that's the importance and, yeah. the, and the value of events and live yeah. events in particular. Those spine-tingling yeah. moments, yeah. the smells. What do I smell? What do yeah. I taste? How yeah. do I feel? What's the sweaty palms moment? What's the, you know, the hugging with a mate when our sporting team wins or whatever that might be, you know, those little touch points all the way along, you know, we can only get those at a live event and, and that's where the value holds. And that's from when they get off, well, we, I shouldn't say they, we get off the tram, get out of it's the Uber. Early, yeah. It's it's yep. from when we leave it's the house. It's from when you buy the when you're actually you're right, searching actually, it's when you're the, the event yeah. and you're buying the ticket. What's that experience then? Those little touch point. What experience like there are a number and I don't think people know about them enough, but you can you know, there's a number of things that you can then add on to your experience along the way as well. Um, so, you know, making sure they 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 are designing an experience for them and that in our venues we've got something that suits everybody. Um, is going to speak to everybody. Yeah. So, and we talk about this a lot. You know, it's like that experience starts way, way, way before they get to your venue. It's it's about that first touch point. So, when do they first hear about it? You know, what do they feel along that journey before they even get on? Before they leave their front door? You know, yeah. how, how have you built that anticipation up? Have you built that excitement level up? Is there anything else they've done in the in the pretense right through to that moment? And then obviously then beyond and the event as yeah, well. Yeah, and the then once you got home. How you're remembering the yep. moment, you know, all of those sorts yeah, of things. Yeah, life cycle. Marcus <laughs> Werner will hate this question. Uh, but so I, I love going to concerts. It's my thing. Um, I'm always in a rush though to get there yeah. on time. So you talk about what is that experience. Have you ever considered as a, as a major entity or as a major major hub having relationships with some of the, the CBD venues or restaurants or something to, you know, have a, a, the value add or something? We are trying to do more of that on site. Yeah. Um, okay. So to be honest, we would rather you get in nice and early, park your car early or get in the train early and spend a bit more time with us. And so we are – and when we're not there yet. We've got some great products. We've got a lot more to sort of bring on the table. But we'd, we've got such a vast space um, and a number of different offerings and more that will come online that we'd love you to relax Come early um, and really make the most of, you know, the quality spaces that we've got. Nice. Righto, Danielle, you're up for it now. Yeah, Buckle in. This, this is this what is, I'm nervous about. <laughs> Shane and uh, his rapid fire questions are ready to go. He's been chomping at the bit for the last 10 minutes. I have, uh, but <laughs> I promise they're, they're, they're fine. You'll be right. <laughs> Righto, go for it, Buzz. Okay, you ready? Quick answers. The favourite event that you've been involved with? <sighs> Grand final day. Which one? Yeah. My last, my last, no, I think my last one, 2017, when we had the Killers. Oh, yeah. Yep, that was pretty good. Um, Favorite event or or concert that you've attended and why? Mm. I reckon my favorite, oh, that's really hard. Um, 
I'll, I'll pick my first concert, um, which was Prince oh, at Rod Laver, actually at Rod Laver. And it's funny when what we year? bring, oh, God, I don't know. It was Diamonds and Pearls tour. I was there with my girlfriend Sarah. Um, (laughs) Daniel, you've gone straight for his heart. You've gone the killers and Prince. He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, because I think that gives you your first introduction into events. That's a decent first concert, by the way. Yeah, it is actually Uh, one of the best. Yeah, yeah. better than mine. It was poison. Anyway, (laughs) um, what scares you? What scares me? Not continuing to evolve and learn and. You know, I never want to be that person that's closed-minded. Best stall at South Melbourne Market? <gasps> no, you can't make me choose that. <laughs> um, like a children, mate. Oh, yeah, I yeah, know. Oh, you know, you I'll get comments. If, no, no, there's so many great stores, so much great food. Um, yeah, I'm not going to choose one. Oh, okay, <laughs> boring. Um, <laughs> event to keep an eye on in the future? An event to keep the yeah, keep an eye on? Um, FIFA Women's World Cup. Yeah, uh, Amy Park are really excited about that. We've got six matches, so four of the um, the standard matches, if you like, and then two of the round of sixteen. Uh, ticket sales are going really well. Um, I just think the vibe's going to be really great. We know Melbourne people get behind their sport, and um, I'm really excited to be involved with it. It's going to be pretty awesome. Okay, true or false? You're a late contender to return to the AFL and take the vacant CEO <laughs> role after Gil. Absolutely false. No, no way. No. Okay. No, don't want it. Thank you. <laughs> 13 and a half years is enough. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> no, no. I loved my time there. But no, that is a big, big role and it's all consuming. And, you know, I uh, I hope that, you know, great person gets the role because there's um there's lots of great people there that. But it won't be you. Is that what you're no, saying? No, absolutely okay. not. What's the best piece of advice that you've ever received? Lots of advice. Um, I think um, oh, manage up. Um, so be really proactive um, uh, about, you know, when I say manage up, that there's no surprises for your superiors. Um, they, they are always uh, know what's going on. Uh, they're not blindsided by things. Um, you take them through a journey as to why we should do things a certain way. Um, really get ahead of it um, and be proactive rather than reactive to everything that they um, throw at you. Uh, try and think before they do. Fair enough. Look, you got through it. Bang. Thank that's you. it. <laughs> Done. You can breathe now. Hey, Danielle, thank you very much for joining us on An Event for Life. I think you've got an amazing uh, journey so far that you've been on, uh, particularly in your professional career and, and everything you've set out to achieve and, and have achieved with yourself and your team and, and what you've managed to build, uh, I think is you know true testament and proof that uh, you can be diverse in your event career and, and it can go many different ways. And, uh, and thanks again for, for being part of uh, our little show and, uh, and sharing your insights. Uh, thanks for having me. Cheers. Thanks, Dan. Thank you. Thanks for listening to An Event for Life. And if you like what you hear, don't forget to subscribe to listen to more episodes. I'm Brad. And I'm Shane. And this podcast is produced by EOS Creative. See you next time on An Event for Life.